for me personally, how I quote, how I deal with it was that I know every single person asking me a question can't play as well as I can and never will. So no matter what you say or what you write, you'll never light a candle to me. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you regret this? And you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. That's incredible. So what a fire take to lead off the Ruthless Variety program from Venus Williams, who was, who was asked uh, about the uh, no, Naomi Osaka controversy. She, of course, is the female tennis player who dropped out of the French Open because she wouldn't take journo questions. And what William shot back with was just like the ultimate fake news takedown. I, I mean, I love it so much. And that's why like I, it, it, so many journos are mad about it because she was just like, I know you people will never accomplish anything. And that's how I deal with you. It's incredible, <laughs> incredible take to just drop right in their faces. <laughs> Oh, so anyway, good Thursday to all of you minions out there. I hope you've had a wonderful week. I know we've had a wonderful week with this merch drop. Thank you, Michael. I, I'm pleased to uh, to help. I mean, it was about time, frankly. It's I just was... ridiculous. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. I mean, and they look there, amazing. Out. I've already got my order in. Uh, I mean, I'm getting I'm getting a couple shirts. I'm, I'm getting the hoodie and I, uh, a sticker and I think something else too. So, yeah. Well, it, so part of the reason we got a little bit of the backstory here from Duncan on why the delay, why the needless delay, because people were demanding it and he just needlessly delayed it. But we found out there was a reason, and and the reason was uh, you ordered some for quality control. He didn't care for the didn't care for the first material. Yeah, you know, I thought it was a little rough. Um, so we went with like a like a premium 100% cotton shirt. And, you know, I, I think it's going to turn out better, you know. So, yes, I did a little bit of quality control for our fans who are, you know, spending their hard-earned money. And I think that's only fair. I mean, I, so I don't think it was it. what I'm saying is I don't think it was needless, Holmes. I think it was responsible. A craftsman until the end, folks. An absolute craftsman. We appreciate the integrity of the product, Michael, and your good work. And again, for everyone who was tweeting, asking for the link, it's store.ruthlesspodcast.com. Store.ruthlesspodcast.com. And uh, I think the the one of them, the don't take the bait shirt, we're only going to have that till like the 4th of July, right? It's like a limited edition. Yeah, yeah. Well, we need what we need is a month of people not taking the bait, which we're going to get to later in the program. But we're just we're not asking too much. We just need to not take the bait for a month. Yep. Hopefully, get to a point where the Republican Party can stop killing itself uh, and point point guns forward. But anyway, uh, what I want to get to first is your junkie horse. Good old junkie horse, man. Your junkie horse. I mean, the, what we found out yesterday was that Medina spirit, the winner of the Kentucky Derby, uh, who had tested positive for performance enhancing drugs was retested and the sample came back. Uh, it's juiced up. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's the big deal here? <laughs> what's the big deal here? I mean, 
we're out here to see how fast a damn horse can run, right? So let's find out how fast the damn horse can run. What are we going to give it? Give it what you can. Yes, that horse fast, you know, you, and it clearly works. Well, yeah, it really won the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, like I've said, you know, we've got we've got these chickens at the farms who are just like all breasts, all wings, you know, can't even fly, can't move. Uh, why don't we should just if we were building a racehorse, let's let science build that racehorse. Like, let's see what the full capability is. It's a pro. I, I like it's a pro science take. Yeah, I mean, you have to believe the science, you know. Let's see trust, how fast the horse goes. I trust the science, and the science says juiced up horses are better. Yeah, I mean, it's not like you know you're, you're you're putting wheels on the horse or something like that. You're not like rocket shipping the thing. It's still the horse that's running. It's still the horse's legs that are moving. It's on the horse, so it doesn't matter what you give it. That well, should be the rules. It should be open season. Well, I, uh, okay. Well, I mean, if you let everyone have access to it, that's that's the thing I, I have the problem with with this like these rules is let everyone have access to it. That's how it's fair. So I, I guess like, what I'm do what you want to the horse as long as there's no like bolt-ons, you know, whatever you put in the horse to get it rolling, good to go. But is this take is this take confined to horse racing or animals in general? I mean, like, are you pro <laughs> performance enhancing drugs and sports? Like, do, are you are you pro I mean, Barry Bonds? The, thing, the bottom line is pro that, Lance Armstrong. I mean, the thing is, bottom line is, the performance enhancing drugs are already in sports. And it's not just like like steroids. Like, there's a lot that actually falls under the umbrella of like performance enhancing drugs, um, and they're already being used. You know, you, you can't be one of these athletes with like hundred million dollar contracts taking a risk on. Yeah, I wonder what like a healthy diet and exercising sensibly is going to do for my career. <laughs> oh Jesus! <laughs> like, let's be serious, people. So you're just straight pro steroids across the board. I mean, as long as you're not like, hey, kids, you should do this. You know, I think as long as you, you don't do that. It should be treated like message. like drinking and such. You know, you tell kids, you know, hey, you know, you're still too young for this. But everyone oh, have a great time. <laughs> Somehow this is dovetailed into his smoking tank, too. <laughs> I think, for the record, the reason that people are anti-doping horses is because for many years when they did this, they would break their legs right off and they would injure the animals severely and put them down. And so there was an attempt made in recent years to try to discourage that kind of thing. And see, so that's what I think. The action shouldn't be on like, it, 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 it's like uh, we have to take everyone's guns away because some guy was crazy, right? It should be the same way with horse steroids. Like, listen, if someone has a problem, if someone's horse is breaking their legs, they get in trouble, not everybody. Not everybody. There could be some responsible horses with steroids. They shouldn't. They shouldn't be punished because some guy made his horse break his legs. This is amazing. The pro science, pro steroid, yeah, position for horse racing. You heard it here, folks. You're here to hear first. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So I want to get into uh, one thing that we've covered on the program because we had to because of the unfortunate. Caitlyn Jenner episode, and then and then a great interview with uh, Mayor Faulkner. Uh, it's California politics, and it turns out that the bear that this I think this guy's name's Cox or something. He's one of the candidates. He's run for office like a thousand times, and anyway, this this time he he tried to get this bear to uh, be a part of his act, if you will. And like people don't like the guy so much, but they're kind of into his bear. Yeah, I mean, uh, when I first heard about it, I don't even know who, who was running. I think it was something in California. Uh, but he had a press conference with the bear, and the only thing people were talking about is the bear. And it's like, why would you bring the bear out if you're not going to wrestle it? 
Right. You know, like imagine being a voter and you're like, okay, like this is such a letdown. The guys out here with the bear, we're about to see it throw hands. Like, here we go. Like there was that video that was on Twitter the other day of like, uh, you know, this like family of bears is like rolling up to somebody's house. It's like on the fence and all the, all the, all the dogs in the yard go running after the bear. And, and, you know, the, I think it was a mama bear, like pause at one of the dogs. And then you see this girl go running out into the yard and push the bear off the fence. It's like, it's not impossible folks. You just got to have heart, right? Heart. Like this guy needs to confront the bear. If, if, if a guy, if he wrestled the bear, if he pins the bear, that should be it. Gavin beat, you know, it should be official. Well, so I actually, I actually, I agree with smug on this. Um, in, in storytelling, there's this concept known as Chekhov's gun, which is basically like, you know, if there is a gun in, uh, you know, act one of a play, um, then in act two, you got to fire the gun. Yep. Yep. Because why introduce the gun if you aren't going to fire it? Right. Why introduce the bear if you're not going to fight it? That's that right. should be like a part of the state constitution, you know, like uh, the state animal is the bear. If you can defeat the state animal, you're the new governor. <laughs> well, so I want to take this in slightly different direction because we all know that the animal fighting takes have, have gone quite well here. What I want to talk about is what animals you would be comfortable electing to uh, office, in this case, governor of California. Like, would you vote for the bear? And like my, my personal take is if it's the Republican nominee, I'm voting for the bear. A hundred percent. Without a doubt. I'm voting for bear. Like, are you, are you serious? If it was on the ballot... I'd do it. Like, um, what's the, is there a rule? Cause, uh, I remember someone tried this stunt. I think it was in New York city. I know like somewhere in the Midwest, they got a dog or a cat elected mayor of the town. Right. It's oh, like yeah. air bud rules. Like if it doesn't say you can't do it, then you can do it. You know, it's kind of like a, a non-strict interpretation of the rules, but if you can get the bear on the ballot, I mean, I, I I'm not kidding. I bet bear would win. So is there an animal that you would not vote for? as Republican nominee for any office. I mean, that's tough. If it's the Republican nominee, right? So it's like- uh, If it's the Republican nominee, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I no mean, matter I'd what. for any animal. No Hand matter down. what. I mean, I mean, most animals are better than people, you know? And, and like, look how the human politicians, they haven't done the best job. So, you know, let's give the animals a shot at it. Like, like imagine the bear's day, right? You get the lobbyists come in the room and be like, no. Or the teacher's union, right? The teacher's union rolls up. What's the bear going to do? He's not going to cave. I mean, he's probably going to like swat and eat everything. Yeah. Right? You know what? This is now there's a case for bear. Like <laughs> at the very least, it should be like your, your like a labor, uh, you know, cabinet member at the very least, put him in there to deal with the unions. So like if a manatee runs, you're voting for yeah, the Well, I wouldn't vote for manatee. Manatees are garbage animals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely Why? not. Why? It's a trash animal. It's a trash animal. It's hideous. Speaking, <laughs> speaking right. of trash, speaking of trash animals, I mean, the only animal I wouldn't vote for, even if it was on the Republican ticket, is a raccoon. Oh, yeah. You oh, yeah. Literally a trash animal. I have a, per a personal animosity against raccoons. You, you had to hunt them. I mean, I didn't kill them or anything, but yes, they did. And they invaded my home. They are a weirdos, couple years ago. man. They are weirdos. Like I've seen them out. Like they're actually raccoons in Brooklyn, right? They'll like when, when uh, you know, the trash is piling up, you'll see raccoons occasionally roll up and they're weird little animals. They have like human hands, like they'll pick up some garbage and start walking on their hind feet. And it's like, we need to be allowed to have guns in this city. Like, would you fight? Would you fight a raccoon? 
I wouldn't no. want to because not I, they have problems. They have like diseases and stuff. I would kill a raccoon. Like it would, you know, you give me not a with your hands. Without, with your hands. Because I don't want to touch it. I don't want to touch it. Yeah. They're disgusting creatures. Yeah, I mean, I went through a whole episode where there were raccoons trying to get into my attic. attic. And, you know, I had to hire a you know trapping service and, you know, they installed a trap on the roof of the house and all this stuff. And like I had these like cameras set up for motion detecting in the middle of the night, you know, and I got fed up. We, I mean, the trapper wasn't catching the raccoons. So eventually I just got so fed up. I went to Home Depot. I bought more traps myself. I started baiting them with different foods. Uh, I tried chicken. I tried tuna. I tried all sorts of t- the tuna actually is what ended up working the most. Really? But I set them up all in my backyard. And yeah, I caught like three raccoons in the What'd middle of the night. Once you caught them. What? What'd you do when you caught him? Well, see, this is the this Rain is the crossed. thing that that's incredible. Uh, in Virginia, at least where I live, you catch these raccoons uh, in the traps humanely. Humanely ca- capture the raccoon. You call animal control, and they're like, "Oh yeah, you got a raccoon, huh? Um, well, is he diseased and uh, does he show signs of rabies?" Uh, I I don't know. I'm not a raccoon ex- expert. All right. Well, we can't take him unless he's diseased. Which is just like stunning to what are you? I'm just supposed to release him back, and is this a catch and release program for raccoons? <laughs> the thing is filthy. What'd I'm sure do? it has a disease. Will you just take them off my hand? No, they won't take them from you, dude. So Duncan ends up giving in the thing Elka so, sauce. Yeah, but it- <laughs> show up with a foaming raccoon. <laughs> I had to call the trapper. I had to call the trapper and be like, "Hey, hey, dude, I I did your job for you." you really, that was the out. That's what you did to it. That's what I had to do. I gave him away to the trapper. Who well, you, you can't like discharge him. firearms in the suburbs, so it's, um, you can't like shoot the guy. But if Good he's in the cage, I mean, there's a lot of ways to end him at that point. Because you, I mean, what's the guy? What's the what's the trapper? Imagine being the trapper. Your job is trapping raccoons. What are you going to do? You're going to kill a tra- raccoon? Hell no! You'll set it right back out in the neighborhood. That's that's like that's like your job right there. Is yeah, he going to make himself unemployed? No, he wants he wants raccoons going crazy. Drove, in the suburbs. You think he drove? He was probably the, the trapper who put dude. The trapper probably put the raccoons there in the first place, bro. <laughs> Like, you want to solve the problem, you got to kill the damn thing, Duncan. I couldn't. Of all people, how are you not going to kill that thing? Even if he's hideous, I still love animals. I couldn't bring myself to do it. I mean, it's a bad animal. It's like your moral high ground just killing them. The damn. I'm not going to kill them, but I will not vote for them. Major ground, major ground broken on the ruthless variety <laughs> program. We now know that there are no votes for raccoons. So it's I like pre- the people who are like, uh, if they if they if they catch like a spider or something in their house, they're like, try to catch it in a way that they can release it outside. It's like, no, now it's someone else's problem. You solve that. You solve that. You grab a shoe. You finish it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Problem solver. You don't push it off the plate. All right, enough of the raccoons. We're getting into Fauci, which, you know, uh, yes. never mind. I'm not going to do that transition. Anyway, Fauci's, yeah. emails, <laughs> Fauci's emails came out. <laughs> and and a lot of people had a lot of different takes on his emails. I'll just give you mine off the top. Um, I read through them. I wanted to actually look at, because the coverage is bullshit, right? The coverage is just like whatever people all these campaigning media organizations want you to believe but the actual emails revealed something to me which 
we were led to believe that this guy knew everything that there was to know about pandemics and about respiratory diseases and about how they spread and about how you keep people safe. And like he was basically the national spokesperson for all of that. Now, I don't think there's anything particularly sinister about Anthony Fauci, but my view is that this guy didn't know a goddamn thing. He basically reflected back what the national media sentiment was on an ongoing basis from the beginning of this all the way to the end. So if it was unpopular to talk about China, it was unpopular with Anthony Fauci. When it was unpopular to talk about masks, it was unpopular with Anthony Fauci. It was one campaign after another that was dictated entirely by the national media, of which he just reflected back on stage and gave the credence of science, which, as we know in the end, had absolutely no basis in fact. Yeah, I bet he needs a monster book deal to afford like the tab he has for like focus groups and polling because like the only charts he's looking at isn't like infection rates folks it's just poll numbers he's like what's the favorability of this that's what we're rolling with but even even less than just poll numbers he was like like Holmes said I mean he was just you know repeating back to the media what they already wanted to hear I mean it's no surprise that he was the most popular figure uh, in the DC media for you know the whole last year he was telling them exactly what they wanted to hear well, in that journals, I mean, one and the same, they're just so disgusting and, and weird. Like, I remember when the pandemic first dropped, it was like uh, in, in the I think it was in the D.C. area and New York or just in the D.C. area. There are those uh, I don't know if they're like hard seltzers or whatever. They're the Fauci pouches. You guys remember these like uh, those the restaurants which were making these like mixed drinks for delivery because, you know, everyone was inside. You had to order your meals. Uh, they're called like Fauci pouches where they're like cocktails that are like. I don't know, Fauci themed and they'd come with like a picture of Fauci on it. It's like, this is weird, man. Like this dude's job is to like go on TV and explain how a disease works. This is not a God. These people's brains are deeply diseased. I mean, we've we've seen this back since like Michael Avenatti is a superhero and, you know, Muller Christmas carols and the RBG prayer candles. And yeah, the Fauci stuff. I mean, these people are just brain I mean, and that's a great point it's like uh you know that's a really good point like republicans are frequently accused they're like oh god this is a cult of personality these people worship trump it's like it's not about that man it's because it makes you angry like i think that's you know probably the one of his greatest accomplishments like operation lightspeed warp whatever it was probably his best <laughs> he never gets done. it right because i mean he saved literally millions of lives with that but the one of the best things about trump is he just made them so mad he made them so angry that they like couldn't help themselves to lose their minds. And it's because like he revealed the theater. I mean, the, here's the thing that, yeah. that he did better than everybody else. He lifted the mask of expertise that somehow yeah. here in government, there are a whole bunch of people who actually know what's going on and they have your best interests at heart. And like the thing that Trump totally unmasked is that, of course, they don't. Right. It's an ongoing narrative that works out like the West Wing and Aaron Sorkin, that they sort of play this tune and try to pretend. Yeah, they walk down a hallway and they have a talk about it and they solve the problem. Yeah. Like people, people like Anthony Fauci can go out and speak truth to power and go out there. And I just tell you a baseball story and a couple of things. And here we are. I'm an expert because I'm always been an expert. And here we are with the expertise. And like it turns out in the end, he doesn't know a goddamn thing, like nothing, nothing. I, I really, mean, was... I really, I like, I liked that uh, impersonation because it was kind of like a New Yorker Eric Cartman. Dude, that was a dead-on one too. It was I good. Thought, I, I thought there was enough Baltimore in there, but, but you know, like, look, the, the, 
the purpose of Anthony Fauci, if we recall, was not to provide the roadmap to recovery for America. The purpose was to understand something that was under, ununderstandable to Americans, which is a century-long pandemic mm-hmm. drought. And how, how is it that we can prepare ourselves as a society to get through that? What we got instead was a politician who told us not to wear masks, to wear masks, 14 days to slow the spread, two months to slow the spread. You can get your kids in school. You can't get your kids back in school. We might not be ready. We're ready by Mother's Day. We're not ready by Mother's Day. Oh, my gosh, it's done. You know, I was thinking in hindsight because, uh, uh, you know, Google Photos has this thing where they're like, here's where you were a year ago. Here's what was going on, whatever. And then it's been interesting to see those over the past few months of seeing how this thing like kind of uh, 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 unwrapped itself, this pandemic and and how different how how awful the messaging coming out of fauci was and how unsure people were and i i really feel like in hindsight it's clearer of how terrible a job fauci did because people were fucked people were terrified like i remember in new york at night yeah. you just heard when it, when it first came through you just heard sirens you knew oh god yeah. that's someone else they're they're you know they're gone it, i mean it was horrific so at the time you know people are just trying to get by like the unemployment is sky high you know everything is shut down and then at that moment when like america was at its most vulnerable this guy what does this guy do he turns it into the into the fauci show he's like i mean it was very calculated is the thing from him it was very calculated because some i saw people posting this uh article from the village voice from like a decade ago or something talking about his failures when he was uh, put in charge of uh, HIV AIDS policy of how awful a job he did. This was, this was like his, his, you know, his second act. He was like, Oh, I'm going to play this exactly like the PR pros would tell me to, I'm going to turn this pandemic into a book deal. I'm going to turn myself into the most famous face in America. He got free airtime in everybody's living room. It's like, you know, when people are wondering like, how did Trump like take over the media? Like how, how you know, how do you get so, I mean, he, for, for like a decade, he, he's, he's on the apprentice, you know, like what candidate can compete buying airtime when this guy's already had a decade on the air. Fauci's in every living room in America being told by every journalist, government official, this man, he knows what he's doing. And he becomes like the good housekeeping seal of what to do. And, and, and the problem is he kept flip-flopping and he didn't know what he was doing. Well, and he, he, no. he says in some of these emails that, you know, people are nuts and he can't understand the adoration. I mean, this is a guy who also appeared on the cover of InStyle in, <laughs> in, in, in July of 2020. Wow. He got Brad Pitt playing you on SNL. Oh, oh gosh. Oh, gosh. Yeah, How did this happen? God. Yeah. You know? You know, what happened to that lady, the one who had the scarves? Oh, Burks? Dr. Burks? Yeah. Yeah, we, 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 they did. An I, I don't even remember what happened. She like they put her in like witness protection, man. Well, they ruined, probably was like, no, only I get the ratings. Well, they ruined her career because she stood up for Trump. You know, they, Is they that what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Because she was like the last man standing on the on the on the task force hmm. and they ruined her career. They ran her out of NIH. They basically forced her retirement. She did this this uh, long interview on CBS where it was sort of revealing in a lot of ways where she's like, look, I obviously didn't agree with Trump on everything, but he wasn't wrong on everything either. And everybody wanted me to be one thing or another. And I couldn't be because it truth that the truth was that it was somewhere in between. And like, 
Fauci never really tried to do that. Fauci just played the natural sort of whatever was popular at the time. And, and like, look, there's a lot of people who have a very well-founded resentment and anger towards Fauci because of what's happened to them in their personal lives. And I get it. I don't actually think this guy had any malice. What I think this guy had is an obligation to tell people that he didn't know what the hell was going on either. And he never did it. He never did it. You, know, that, you bring up, you know, a lot of really interesting points. And now that I'm thinking about it, it feels like, number one, I want to go back and see what happened to Burks because uh, it, 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 it's crazy the way that they got her to disappear. Uh, but the way that Fauci essentially was like a foil to Trump and how he played that and how he had the understanding that like, okay, the media is against Trump. So if I kind of play this like foil, but act like, you know, oh, I don't know, I'm like undermining messaging or whatever, like, like, uh, like, oh, I'm just, I'm just following the facts or whatever. But if you look at the, the, uh, you know, looking back now that you can with hindsight, of what Trump accomplished, where the messaging that the media pushed through the entire election, which every Dem pushed through the entire election was, my goodness, when the biggest crisis of our time hit the table, Trump was an abject failure. But if you go back and look at the decisions that Trump made, not only on you know Operation Warp Speed, where he saved millions of lives, the decision to do that kind of like public-private partnership and then you look in the aftermath now where I was the other week where, where, where these numbers came of the U.S. vaccination rates compared to the rest of the world, right? We are, we're crushing basically every other developed country, certainly every other near our size, yeah. you know, like, you know, Israel and, and um, oh gosh, what's that island place? Uh, Seychelles, you know, one, one of these like resort countries essentially, you know, may have higher vaccination rates, but they don't have like, you know, 400 million people to vaccinate. The fact that the U.S. is beating all these countries in vaccination rates because Trump had the foresight to be like, we got to get a deal to start producing these things and have competition where it's not like one company that's doing it. You know, all these companies are fighting to be the first. And then when they've developed it, we have options. And then the individual, like the smaller ball decisions that he made where his hand was slapped away, like sending, sending, that, sending that medical boat to New York we're, to, we're just simply because of politics and to undermine Trump, the governor was like essentially not using it. You know, he's yeah. like, oh, we're not going to reroute non-COVID cases to the boat so then we can handle those in the hospitals. But like compare that to Fauci, who, who knew it doesn't matter about outcomes. What matters is, is, is what I look like in the media. Yeah, it's well, really but, messed up. But what you just said, where the, the intersection of Fauci is, is when Trump would say we're going to have a vaccine by the end of the year. They would mm -hmm. ask Fauci, the media would explode and have yeah. experts. They're like, oh, this is impossible. Yeah. And then they would be go done. To, and then they would go to Fauci and he'd be like, well, it'd be very difficult. Be, yeah. That's yeah. obviously very difficult. We've not, not, not done anything like that before. Blah, 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 blah. And yeah. like, that's not expertise. That's reflecting back what the national media expects and wants you to say. Same goes for like Tom Cotton and the Wuhan lab theory, mm -hmm. right? It was very unpopular to have that theory in the winter and in, in spring of 2020. So what is... What does Fauci say? Well, I find it very unlikely. It's yeah, very I, unlikely. I, and that's the other thing. It's almost like what Warren Buffett says is never bet against America of like, dude, this is a global crisis. Do you know what America accomplished in World War II? Like impossible is what America does best. Like, let's be serious. Like, you know, the administration, Trump leveraged every resource possible. They got the vaccine done in truly a miraculous amount of time. Like it, so quickly. They got it out there before Christmas. 
which no one thought was possible, which all the, you know, it's hilarious going back and seeing the articles where they're like, this is absolutely impossible because all they were were about is just pushing negative messaging to hit Republicans and Trump. And that's what they, that's what they did. And it's, and it it even goes beyond, and this is where it actually has real world consequences that nobody in the media wants to talk about. You remember the exchange between Rand Paul and Fauci months back when, when they were talking about whether or not people who recovered from the coronavirus and or are vaccinated were susceptible to the coronavirus, Mm -hmm. right? And they had a fierce argument with Rand Paul taking the position that you have built up immunity and therefore cannot contract the coronavirus or spread the coronavirus, right? And also important to emphasize for folks, Dr. Rand Paul. So this is not like a random senator with opinions, but continue. Right. So- they are going at it. And Fauci is just screaming at him that that's just not true. There's no science behind it. We don't know any of the details that you got to double mask forever because, because you, you can't, you know, nobody's ever free of coronavirus until it's eliminated from the planet. Well, you know, like four months later, we find out that what Rand Paul was saying was true. The problem is, is that half of the America of America, the lib America only listens to Dr. Fauci. The last word that they heard on the subject was that you could still catch coronavirus. That's why these people are still in their damn homes. That's why every metropolitan area that you t- that you look at, I don't care where you live, walk out and look outside right now. There's like four or five libs wandering around the street with double masks on right now. It has a real world impact. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's and terrible. That's the, that's the thing. is, And then, you know, to, to, you've got uh, Pete Buttigieg saying that like, hey, masks are about being respectful on, you know on airplanes it's like that's we were told to trust the science yeah. we we're told to trust the science this isn't about respect you know i mean goodness gracious the amount of complaints i could have about respect in public but like this is about a pandemic this is about trusting the experts and science and if you know pushing this messaging that caused so much vaccine hesitancy because they're like hey what's the point if if i if i still have to wear a mask and stay well, that inside. was rand's and that was rand's point right yeah. that's what he was saying you get people to vaccinate much quicker if you actually told them the truth that they were then actually immune from coronavirus, which he wouldn't do. And now here we are three months later. Look, I, I think we've covered it, but suffice it to say, it's a big problem. You know what else is a big, tr- big problem, Smug? Let's hear it. Have you know? So, you know, a couple of weeks ago, the colonial pipeline is hacked by a bunch of Russians. Yep. Right which is like light years, in my view, light years more aggressive than sending you know, $10,000 worth of Facebook ads to us in, in 2016. I mean, it literally crippled the Northeast of this country. And we just got the news report and everybody kind of moved on. Well, now Russian hackers hacked the largest meatpacking place in the world. And again, everybody's like, okay, well, it's back online. The big question is whether they paid a, a ransom for it. Um, do we have anybody that, that uses a fucking computer in our defense system? Like, I, I have yeah. a lot of questions about why it is that we are consistently being hacked and why supply chains coming to America are, are consistently hacked. All of these things are happening to us. I mean, if I were president of the United States, there wouldn't be a traffic light in moscow that worked and that's the really crazy thing and uh, to me this has been very frustrating for a while um you know especially look at the way our tax dollars are allocated when it comes to you know keeping our country safe defense of our country like 
I, I think part of the problem is politicians are by and large old folks, case in point, the president of the United States. They're like, okay, we've got this monster defense budget. What should our priority be? Let's build another aircraft carrier that costs a trillion dollars, even though now we know China with like a supersonic missile can destroy it for 50,000. Let's keep them rolling. Let's keep making those ships instead of trying to focus on not getting, you know, meat production and, 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 and gas and fuel hacked in this country while while biden's only letting you know putin have his pipelines he's shutting down all the ones here in the u.s but the focus is so ridiculous that we have on defense like i mean how many tanks do we need how many tanks do we need we really gonna go rolling through russia with tanks now is that what we're spending our money on like for the price of one tank how many how many nerds can we get in a room that can start hacking up russia like it's just a lack of response honestly the the thing is that became very obvious to me on 9-11 is like all of the secret sort of behind the scenes stuff that you're not supposed to know about that kept you thinking we were safe all the time doesn't necessarily exist, right? Mm-hmm. I think during the Bush administration, they learned a lot of lessons. And then by the end of it, remember, they were inventing things like Stuxnet that took out the entire yeah. Iranian nuclear production with a, a simple virus that some scientist accidentally you, plugged so, in. That was that's an awesome reference for folks who don't recall or or, or, or too young or never heard of Stuxnet. That you know to uh, shut down uh, Iranian nuclear facilities, they create the United States created this virus that made the like uh, centrifuge spin really? faster, but like by a hair, like 0.01, you know, that could not be noticed really but enough that it would just like destroy the thing. So they sent out this virus and they're just like, what the hell? Like it we were watching it. It was like within allowable measures. And then just like, see, see, we used to be able to do things like that. So that's, I mean, I guess that's my point, right? Is it like, I am concerned. And frankly, I was concerned during the Trump administration too, about the fact that Russians felt comfortable even if it was negligible stuff like, you know, Facebook ads in an election, the Russia felt comfortable doing that to the United States. And then we would be like, oh, yeah, we sanctioned whatever. I mean, whatever the hell that means, I guess it's harder to get goods and services. OK, I, I think that makes sense. But in all honesty, like if we know that these people are consistently trying to attack the infrastructure of the United States. And we don't do anything about it. What's the message? Yeah, yeah. And our priorities are, are completely messed up when it comes to defense, completely messed up. And I bet a lot of it is like, uh, let's be serious. Like um, uh, there's this company, uh, there's there's a couple things I'll say. Number one, the priorities are messed up because you've got like, you know, defense contractor lobbyists saying, hey, we need we need more aircraft carriers. You know, there's no like, hey, let's let's hire more like hacker kids to do our cyber lobbyists. There's not a big market for that. Number two, part of the problem is the technology and tech has gotten so left wing that like you had this issue when it was, I think it was like Amazon and Microsoft fighting for like the Jedi contract where like people who work at those companies were like, we're not going to do any work for the defense department because the United States is an imperial nation and we will not help, you know, the country we live in and who gave us these opportunities. In in my view, so like I'm going to have a total radical view on that. If that's your view, if you have ever said the word, I'm not working for the United States because it's an imperial, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Yeah. I wish, man. Get the fuck out of here. I wish. Like the the, the way that Silicon Valley has gotten so messed up on this. And the problem is it's not like, it's not like folks at the top. It's not like actual decision makers have accomplished anything. 
it's the folks straight from these college where, you know, where they've been indoctrinated, they show up and they're like, okay, uh, my number one job is to like protest in March. And I'm also part-time, you know, working on computers. You know what I mean? Like, let's be serious here. Your job is, is, is to accomplish what, you know, you're good at. It's not, Hey, we're, we're passing around a petition to get somebody fired because, uh, you know, they supported a Republican. Like it's gotten very messed up what's happening out there. You think China, China, you know, uh, uh, companies there are like, Hey, we, we, our employees say they don't want to help the Chinese government. What do you think happens there? I mean, I'm not saying show up and like roll over people with tanks like the Chinese government does, but I'm saying like, folks, there's a country that gave you the opportunity to become, you know, a computer programmer and to thrive and to build this economy that we have, you know, tech companies like this. And it's the United States. And, and, and the way that the media especially has, has helped the left perpetuate this idea that the United States is inherently evil and you can't work for them. Now we're seeing the result of this. We're falling behind. You know, China's hackers, Russia's hackers, they're, they're running amok because, the, you know, their government has, has priorities on, hey, this is a zero-sum game. They want to win. They understand yeah. they're wearing a jersey. Yeah. And they want to win. And half of this country right now doesn't understand that it's, we, we wear jerseys here. Right. They're out to de- try to destroy us economically and otherwise if they have to, but they certainly are on a mission. And for some reason, the left doesn't get that in this country. The last thing I'll say about this is this. I also read a headline this week that Iran had done multiple drone strikes this spring. I didn't know this. Hmm. Multiple drone strikes on American targets in Iraq wow. this spring. I hadn't heard anything about this at all. Hmm. Right. The answer is we've done nothing, right? You continue to read about how the United States is interested in re-entering this nuclear deal with Iran. Um, the backdrop for that, we should all know, is Iran continuing to attack American targets like and, and, and try to kill Americans. I mean, let's be very clear about what that is. They're trying yeah. to kill American soldiers. And I thought it was so telling. I tweeted this out and I was like, no response, man. That, that sends a pretty powerful message. And I got sort of inundated by a bunch of people on the left that said, well, there's a price to pay for killing Soleimani. That would... And that's the, that's the not that Soleimani was out there exactly. orchestrating killing U.S. troops. Not that his mission in life was, was asymmetric warfare that results in the deaths, dismemberments of so many American soldiers. Yeah, across like multiple wars, proxy wars in the Middle East. He killed yeah. thousands, thousands. I was going to say like, what a difference that like, you know, you had Trump who, 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 you know, they, Soleimani found out. He messed around. He found yeah, out. But he now they're, now that you've got Iranian drones hitting American targets. And, and that's also part of the problem is that like, you know, uh, the, the Biden people are basically like second tier Obama folks. Like they didn't get. They weren't good enough to get uh, corporate jobs at like Amazon and book deals and, and, and uh, you know, go out to Hollywood and get their Netflix deals. They're the second tier folks. So they're like, uh, let's just like copy, copy the previous administration. That's such a good, you know, take. let's copy Obama's take. So we have to stick to the Iran deal, even though they're like droning us. And, it's like, and you know, the journals are roll with us. It's like strike replacement. Uh, <laughs> it is. It's a hundred percent like starting lineup wiped out. Everybody bring in the backbenchers, and that's like the Biden administration. But, but yeah, keep, you know, but we're keep good enough for the Obama administration. Keep an eye on this, right? Because there has been no talk about how other countries are consistently trying to test America right now, and we're not doing anything about it. 
But this will continue. Mark my words, this will continue. And they'll target everyone. And anyone who tries to sort of speak truth to power, they're probably already targeting the Ruthless Variety program, right? Absolutely. It's just the way that they work. But our government under Biden decides that, like, we don't need to do anything about it. So incredible. Uh, Okay. Duncan, we have a uh, we've got something we got to get to here because it it comes to our our special uh, don't take the bait T-shirt month that we want to promote because we need to illuminate why not taking the bait is so important. Like uh, I, I'm so excited because Duncan's been waiting for this, and I want to clarify because I saw some folks on Twitter saying it's Duncan on Duncan. No, the segment is Duncan with Duncan. It's Duncan doing the dunking, not getting dunked on. It's Duncan with Duncan, and I know he he's gonna he's gonna shred this segment. Just a bunch of Duncan, but but the important part we've talked at, at nauseum about how much the media needs Trump and the media needs Republican conflict, but. What we've noticed and what Duncan has put together is how even publications that's primary goal in their, in their founding charter were to cover the power of government and how it affects people have turned into a complete theatrical production intended to try to divide Republicans, right? It has nothing to do with covering actual news like pipelines, like China, like all of the things that are happening. It's just inwardly focused on Republicans fighting Republicans. Yeah, I mean, that's right. Um, A perfect example of that is Politico Huddle. Um, This is a vertical of Politico, um, you know, the news organization that, you know, the, the Huddle basically covers Capitol Hill. You know, what's going on in the Capitol um, you know, what's the legislation that's moving? What are the issues that are important to people? Yada, 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 yada. Well, so, you know, it's kind of a perfect example of, of don't take the bait. Um, political huddle sends out a newsletter and in the month of May, they sent out 20, 20 subject lines for political huddle. And 16 of those are about Republican infighting. During a unified democratic government, unified democratic government. Amazing. So what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do here is I'm just going to, I'm just going to read these rapid fire to give you guys a little taste of what our, our betters in the media think you need to know about what's happening in Congress. Mind you again, united uh, democratic governance. Sizzle in the GOP over Cheney's future. McCarthy launches campaign to replace Cheney. Freedom caucus weighs its next move. GOP leaders diverge on Trump approach. Rubber hits the road for GOP leadership fight. Senate GOP gears up for voting reform fight. How the GOP's vote to remove Cheney will go down. Inside the GOP's month-long campaign to oust Cheney. House Republicans head to the polls. Can McCarthy still discipline MTG? Lawmakers field requests for hopeful January 6th commissioners. The GOP whip count on the January 6th commission. The differences between Republicans in the House and the Senate. Welcome to the Gates Show. The GOP four camps on a Trump 2024 campaign, the January 6th commission's death knell. Those were, those, those are all of the subject lines for political huddles newsletter in May. Yeah. Bringing up that we have a unified Dem government really drives home the motive here. It's like their job is not covering the news. 
Dude, they, they're not lead, covering the news. Their lead story stories here in May. There are more mentions of Liz Cheney. There are more mentions of January 6th than there are mentions of the president of the United States, Joe Biden. Wow. Unbelievable. But it just goes to show we've been talking about this since last year's election, that mm-hmm. this was the goal. Right. They can't actually talk about what Democrats are doing because they're a miserable failure at governing and have been for generations. Yeah, this but this one, I think, to me, really stands out because the actual goal, the founding charter of Politico Huddle was to be an insidery publication that told people who are really into the nuts and bolts of Congress, like what pieces of legislation are moving like if you looked back to how the thing got started, what you imagine all those headlines to be about is like the infrastructure bill, like what committee hearings are doing about technology companies, what like all the things that are actually happening on Capitol Hill. And it's doing zip of them. Nothing. No, 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 no. no. All it it is drives home, man. Like the media killed the golden goose. These dumbasses like they unified because like all their friends and everyone and their little Brooklyn dive bar told them orange man bad. And so they dedicate their careers to smearing and trying to get rid of Trump 24-7. And now all of a sudden they're like, oh, wow, CNN has lost half its viewers. We're not getting as many clicks. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? Uh, let's try playing the hits. Let's say Republican well, bad. Right. That's uh, it. Let's so, try so finding now, the new Trump. They tried so with like, Tucker. Huddle. They tried with MTG. Like, sorry, folks, you can't fake the funk. You kill the golden goose. Right. Right. So that now political huddle basically serves as an, as an echo chamber to refract back to the talking heads like Rachel Maddow, what to put on prime time. You know, it's it, it's not telling you anything about what's actually happening that's going to move the day on Capitol Hill. It's Republican infighting for them to talk about in prime time. But again, like why I find this the most offensive example is that I've come to believe that this is true of the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC. Like that's obvious because it gets played out every day. This is supposed to be an insider publication. And there's good and and there's good reporters who work there. Right. That's the thing that's so frustrating. I don't know who their editors are that are making them write this dog shit, but like stop. It's just incredible. I'll tell you, playbook. If you read playbook. Uh, which is supposed to be the sort of the 50,000 foot version of what the huddle is that also encompasses the administration. It's not any better. It's the same sort of stuff over and over again. Like I remember during the midst of the gas crisis, it was one Trump headline after another. Trump hasn't been president in a long time, folks. Yeah. Like, like (laughs) what's it's about time to start covering this administration and and, and the unified government, like wake up. Yeah. You can't just inject Trump into everything and think that American people are dumb enough, right? They, that they're dumb enough to just sort of believe everything that you're saying and that nothing else matters. Dude, it's all deflection. It's all deflection. It's just like the same thing, Holmes. You know, whenever Chuck Schumer has any sort of obstacle to passing some piece of legislation in the Senate that sailed through the House... The immediate conversation isn't, wow, I, I guess Chuck Schumer can't do his job. No, it's okay. filibuster's got to go. Yeah. It's got to go. Filibuster's got to go. Like, you're right. There's no discussion at all about how Democrats have their first priority, S1 and H- HR1, as something that just inherently is so partisan it couldn't possibly obtain a Republican vote, right? That seems like a strategic error that most people would say, hey, big mistake for your first priority. Nope. 
nope, it's the Republican problem. It's the, actually, no, it's the problem with the founding with the Senate. The Senate itself, the institution itself is flawed. Dude, we're, we are a year after George Floyd's death and they haven't passed a police reform bill. And this same Democratic Party that now has the majority in the Senate filibustered Tim Scott's police reform bill back last fall. They still have not passed one. They still but- have not passed one. And, 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 and when they talk about passing one, the context is whether or not they're going to eliminate the filibuster. Right. It's truly, I mean, you got to be insane to follow their train of thought and think it makes sense. It's truly important. Yeah. I mean, it's like completely unironically Dems in disarray. Like the other day I saw uh, Biden had had this meeting with like the Congressional Black Caucus where he was like, listen, folks, I'm just trying to get something done on infrastructure. We'll have to worry about reparations later. Like, okay, that's that's a, that's a heck of a to do list when you've got like gas lines and we're getting hacked and uh, Iran's attacking. But okay, we'll hear it through. Well, here's the truth, and we will we will, I think, talk about this a lot over the summer. But the truth is, and you heard it here first on the Ruthless uh, Variety program, is that the Dem agenda sucks. There, it, it actually didn't. There was a bunch of how you sequence what you're trying to do in a new administration is pretty important. It takes strategic thinking and you've got to try to build momentum and get big things done. And, and how you do that is like, it takes a lot of good thought. They decided to do the absolute easiest thing you could ever do. Something that received 98 votes in the Senate the year before they decided to do that first. And they decided to do it on a partisan basis, thereby eliminating 50 Republican senators from participating in the process. So guess what? What comes along next is an entirely partisan process. Nothing else in their agenda can receive a Republican vote. We're talking, they may very well end 2021, not getting a single thing done. It's really amazing. It's because like historically, like the first hundred days is like, what were you elected to accomplish? What's your like signature issue? This is when you like go big and you show the American people, hey, you know, your government is working together and you get something done. You know, you do what has to be done. You get something done. What's happened? What, what, what's 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 the end result of, of the first hundred days of Biden? Like what what all he's done pretty much is just try to steal credit for everything Trump That's had. It. That's all he's done. He's like, hey, folks, look at the vaccination rates, even though Kamala tried undermining vaccines, saying that she wouldn't take one that was developed under Trump. But, hey, we're going to take all the credit for the ones that are developed under Trump. Oh, and, so hilarious. And don't forget dumping $4 trillion worth of unnecessary spending into the economy, thereby raising the prices of everything on every single American and not creating any jobs. That that they actually did. And done. then sending out Saki to be like, oh, it only feels more expensive because it's more expensive and your money's worth less. But, like, this is normal, folks. Hats off. Listen, if this was a Republican administration, I mean this sincerely, if this was a Republican administration, it would be wall to wall coverage about insane. what a failure they've been. Insane. It'd be insane. And right. we should have let's have like a mini segment of just dunking on the media because they've been so out of pocket lately. And it's I think part of it is this panic where um, so so Vanity Fair had this had this article where they said, you may never see those numbers again. Can cable news pass the post-Trump test? That's only for the left-wing networks like CNN, MSNBC. They're getting destroyed. CNN especially. I think it's now over half their listeners. Like many people saying we now have listenership that beats some CNN segments. So, wow. Uh, you know, you made your bed. Now you're going to sleep in it. I mean, 
Fox seems to be doing fine, by the way. Right? Like, uh, it, it turns out that real news, you know, any of the quote-unquote center, center-right news organizations are doing great. It's everyone who turned their network into an anti-Trump podium of like, we're essentially like a DNC mouthpiece. And, and, and CNN is truly that. Like, they're allowing, number one, not only is Chris Cuomo covering for his brother being just like an abject failure, killing seniors in New York, he's advising him on it while having state employees provide Chris Cuomo with, with care. And those are employees that were pulled from nursing homes. Like there's no limit to the like insult to injury for these people, but that's CNN's, that's, that's CNN's MO is we have no accountability. Uh, we're going to get ratings off of being, you know, getting ginning up people to be mad at Trump. And when he's gone, your ratings are gone. And you know, I, it couldn't happen to a worse group of people. Totally. So, but if you guys notice, there's a new piece of the, of this, which is the opinion pages when they have an op-ed that they want to title or some something that they want to title at some point that becomes false later on, that they go back. We heard this, remember about Stacey Abrams when she wrote the op-ed in USA Today? The, the, the stealth edit. The yeah, stealth the, edit. Yeah, it talked, it, she talked about basically boycotting areas that pass, you know, bills that, that would- yeah, boy, which, Boycotts are good and they work. Here are all these examples of why they're important, but oh, oh no, I don't support them. No, no. Yeah, once, once, once the polling numbers got back from how Georgians are like, why the hell did you idiots get rid of the all-star game? They're like, oh, uh, Stacey Abrams, here's our login. <laughs> Just like, go and rewrite this, whatever helps well, but, you. But that's, but it's the, it's the cornerstone of integrity. Of, yeah. a, of a opinion piece. So she writes that op-ed, MLB pulls its all-star game. It becomes tremendously unpopular to support bot, uh, boycotts in Georgia, as it should. And they stealth edit the paragraph out that calls for boycotts, right? It's the, it's the single biggest lack of integrity I've ever seen. Well, you now, know what it is? It's like that photo of Stalin. With like uh, the dude he was boys with at the time is with him in the photo, but then like when Stalin got rid of him, they just like edited you know, him out. Whatever the old timey Photoshop version of getting rid of someone—that's what they did. That's what the media is. They're essentially just like bringing back the Stalin playbook to no to no repercussion in the in in the national media at all. So listen to the New York Times. New York Times wrote a piece 15 months ago that was entitled "Tom Cotton Keeps Repeating a Coronavirus Conspiracy Theory." that was already debunked, right? The other day, miraculously, we got a new title on this sucker. Um, it, now it reads, Tom Cotton keeps repeating a coronavirus fringe theory that scientists have disputed. This, uh, to say it lacks integrity is just scratching the surface. This, like, in a just society, people be fired. Many, many heads would roll. Like the person at the top would have to go because that is, that is so just dishonest. You've lost 100% your responsibility to the public. When you do things like this, you go back to a 15th month old article and edit it after you spent a year say, saying uh, Tom Cotton's a liar, calling anyone who, who would even discuss that, hey, you know, Hey, what are the odds that a virology lab studying coronaviruses in the area where the pandemic started could be the source of it? Anyone who suggested that was getting blocked on social media, was being called a racist, 
Like, how is it more racist to say, oh, maybe escape from a lab than it came from a wet market full of weird animals? It's crazy. And the fact that the New York Times goes back and edits this, well, uh, you know, shout out young Greg Price over at the Daily Caller for bringing this to our attention. This is unbelievable. And the fact right. that there are no calls for the New York Times to have an audit, there should be names. Who are, who's, who's responsible for this? Who goes back and edits a 15-month-old article through the prism of what we now know? Well, I don't. What I don't understand is when did we adopt a policy where you could change the content of opinion pieces over time? Like that's not the way that works. Opinion pieces only work because they're they're literally designed to influence opinion to the reader at the time, right? Because they live forever on the internet, it has now become something of a, of a vocation for these editors to try to cover their tracks on the things that they choose to publish that ultimately end up to be very wrong. Yeah, and, and this is why I buy uh, Blu-rays and DVDs because libs are like this. Like if it's digital, like the streaming things, like you'll hear stories, they'll go back and they'll edit it. They'll be like, okay, hold on. The Godfather could be offensive to this group. So we're going to remove this scene or like they tried editing Gone with the Wind. Yeah, this is the exact same thing. The, well, the, the left is just like, we will rewrite history. We will ban books. We will decide what information you're allowed to have. Hey, listen, if you try bringing up Hunter Biden, we're going to make sure the New York Post, uh, a newspaper founded by Alexander Hamilton, one of the oldest publications we have, is banned because they brought up what we now know to be complete truth about Hunter Biden. What, what, and of all publications, the New York Standard is supposed to be the gold, you know, the New York Times is supposed to be the gold standard. And that they go back and do this, and there are no repercussions, unbelievable. What, what it what it what it tells me, you know, is that our our media culture has become far too reliant on quote unquote analysis, quote unquote opinion pieces mm -hmm. to drive news. Yep, and, and also the idea that fact checking is critical to our public discourse, frankly. It doesn't have a great track record, folks. No, no it doesn't. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, who the hell appointed Glenn Kessler or any of the people at PolitiFact? Herr Kessler. You know, to, Herr to, Kessler. To, 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 pick, to pick a moment in time and say, this is the truth. This is the fiction. I am the oracle on high. Science investigations are about, you know, uh, acquiring information over time. Okay. Facts change when you acquire new information. Why do we need somebody saying, on this day, this thing is false. It is debunked. It is not true. Like, I, 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 thought, I thought the whole process of science and the whole process of reporting is you go out and, and you accumulate facts, and then you report them out, and you let people make decisions. But that, but that has been fundamentally changed in today's era where you build subscribership on activism. Yeah. You know, it's not like it, the motives of journalism itself are not bad. You're right. They're exactly what you just articulated. The problem is, is the business climate that we now live in has given all of these people perverse incentives to keep feeding the beast because mm -hmm. they know damn well there are no conservatives that are subscribing to the Washington Post, the New York Times, or all these bullshit fact checkers because they spent the last four years campaigning against Republicans.
Nobody reads the junk. So their subscribership is entirely democratic. What are they going to do? Not talk partisan politics to them? And I mean, their, their subscribership would fall apart, as we've seen with CNN. So they've got to continue to do this. And the journalistic standards have gone lower and lower and lower. It's incredible. I mean, what's funny is this is semi-related is the other day, uh, Jake Tapper retweeted someone who's critical of that, like a uh, nut job blew and on uh, Palmer report. Palmer report. Yeah. yeah. It's one of these like sites that's just like saying all this crazy stuff, but whatever. Uh, they're litigious. So my lawyers, you know, our lawyers don't want us saying specific things, but Jake Tapper retweets this, this tweet saying that like essentially Palmer report, you know, this is not believable, the stuff that they've been pushing. And all of Jake Tapper's replies are just like boomer or like wine mom libs. Yeah. Bull boon and blue and on who are like, no, listen, Palmer, Palmer report is the most trusted source of information for me. We're, we're like every day, pretty much like Palmer reports, like, the walls are closing in. Today is the day that, like the the Supreme Court marshal yeah, is going to go jury, arrest grand, Trump. Yeah, like grand jury is going to be impaneled. Yeah, you know? Trump's Trump's going down. The walls are closing in. Like they, the the mainstream media, CNN, everybody, like Joy Reid, who who believes that some like time traveling hacker. I'm not making the like a time traveling hacker is the Joy Reid theory for why those like offensive things were on her blog. <laughs> And this is just like a, accepted as fact and normal for a primetime audience. But like the left is focused on attacking, you know, like Tucker to be the new Trump. But this is where the, the left has, has dug themselves this hole of just lies, uh, misinformation, and just like uh, what you just said, 20 out of 30 newsletters talking about Republicans fighting each other during a unified Dem government. Yeah, 16 they, out of 20. <laughs> they, they, they have no clue what to do. They don't have Trump. They're trying to find a way to get, to get back some of these ratings. And they dug themselves this hole. You know, you, you honestly, made your audience a bunch of like nut job, tinfoil hat, blue and on conspiracy theorists. And this is what you get. And if you talk to reporters who got into it for the right reasons, who are actually journalists, and there are a few of them, believe me, there are a few of them. If you talk to them, they understand what their following looks like. They have hundreds of thousands of social media followers that, you know, I don't know the last time you've been been like retweeted by a mainstream media uh, person, but every time that I am, I have like four days of left wing mentions in my in my timeline. It's because their following is entirely made up of of lunatics, resistant lunatics. And and they lament that, right? Super pro tip for folks. There's a setting on Twitter that you can only get notifications from people you follow. Oh, that's I good. highly recommend that. That's like one, if, if, you, if you've made the mistake of getting on Twitter, one of the, the best ways to maintain like, you know, mental health is just only notifications from people you follow. Because like, you will get those nut jobs who are like, listen, I was, I was, reliably informed that the Supreme Court Marshal is going to go around <laughs> Trump this evening. It's like, I don't need that in my mentions. I don't need a notification. I'm at dinner. I'm not, I, I, you know, if I get a notification, it better be important. <laughs> so good. All right. Well, listen, we have a very important game to play here. Uh, Dunks, before we get to our interview, which I should have teased up top, honestly, we got Matt Brooks the uh, executive di director of the Republican Jewish Coalition with us 
Uh, I'm very excited. It's a great interview for those of you who are interested in the Israel um, topic and Jewish American politics. It, it, this guy is as good as it gets. Want to get to that interview, but let's get some candy going first. Yeah. Oh, no, no. This is great. We haven't played this game in a while. We haven't. Uh, this is uh, Spot the Dem Operative. And basically, and I got to say this for, for Smug as well, and not just our listeners, because as you recall, maybe you know, last time we played this game, he was a little confused about the rules. But I'm going to read four <laughs> statements. I'm going to read four statements, three of which are made by journalists and one from a Democratic operative. And you guys have to decide who is the Dem operative. Okay. I hear we have good uh, new theme music. Oh, we do. Let's play that now. Dem or journo, 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 dem or journo. Nobody knows. Oh, I really like that. This is so fun. I, I like how we I built like a company off of having this much fun. <laughs> this is fun. I like I like how we did it as a round, you know, where one person starts, another person comes in. It really builds to a crescendo. It's also just an excessive amount. Like it was like a, probably a good ten seconds more than was necessary, which I really like about it. Well, yeah, I mean, there are some people who've complained about the singing on the program, but we're going to keep doing it. Oh no, it'll get much worse. No, it's going to get much worse. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's do this. Okay, let's do this. So all of these uh, statements are themed on the uh, New Mexico special election. A, oh, yes. Yeah. This is a uh, D plus uh, 23 district in which uh, the Democrat, unsurprisingly, you know, won the special election on, uh, on Tuesday night. Of course, you know, there's a, a lot of people uh, in the media and, and, and Democratic operatives, obviously, who would like to spin this in a number of ways to make, re you know, Republicans look bad and Democrats look amazing. So, you know what I like before we get into this, you know what I like so much about the topic selection here is that we're like a month removed from the, the Texas six election, which every journo in America told us like nothing to see here. It was a R plus three district R should have won. No problem. Now we're dealing with a D plus 23, which is a bellwether, a harbinger of things to, to come. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so good. I can't wait to hear these. Oh, these are great. Which to pick from here? I got a lot. I got a lot of takes. Okay. <clears throat> Statement number one. Mark Moore's that's the Republican. Mark Morris and his GOP allies focused aggressively on crime and defund the police rhetoric. It was demagogic nonsense, but Republicans believe this was the message that would make the congressional special election close. The pitch failed spectacularly. So to be clear, uh, you know, for, for the folks at home, because I know how it works. So there's only <laughs> one. Uh, I feel like he doesn't know how to there's work. There's only one. Journal among there's all only of them. one no 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 Jesus. there's only one dem operative 
there are three. Um, so it's the sea of journos with one dem operative, and we have to guess the dem operative. Uh huh. There are okay. there are three journos, one dem. I just operative. want everyone at home to know the rules. Oh uh, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. My God. Okay. Statement two. Her win is a positive sign for the party, adding to their razor thin majority in Congress. The party. Okay. Statement number three. New Mexico voters rejected the tired Republican tactics of lies and fear mongering. Oh. Statement number four. My God, these are good. Her dominating performance represented an early vote of confidence in Democratic leadership. Good God. These people have no shame, both sides. They're, I mean, it's the same job, Dem operative or journal, for being honest, but like they have no shame. It's tough to both tell. Both groups. Shameless. It's really tough to tell who's This is a tough one. Officially. This is your best one. This is your best one. You like I, it? Yeah, because this is a brain buster. Honestly, the first three times that we played this, I felt like there was specific tell language that gave, yeah. yep, like a really good indication. I think we both got got them every time. Oh yeah, this one I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, can, how do we want to work this? Do you? I'm want gonna to do what? I'll do this. I'm gonna read all four in rapid succession in order: one, two, three, four. And then we'll open it to the floor for you. I'd like to debate them. I'd like to kick it around a little. Yeah, same here. Oh, man. You, don't, you also don't have to debate them. You could, you know, I mean, you guys no, are but technically I no, in competition. No, I know, but I'd like to kick it around a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Kick, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah kick it. Give it uh, a little. Give it a little something. Okay, I'm going to read them here again. Mark Moore's and his GOP allies focused aggressively on crime, defund the police rhetoric. It was demagogic nonsense, but Republicans believe this was the message that would make the congressional special election close. That pitch failed spectacularly. That's one. Okay. Her win is a positive sign for the party, adding to their razor-thin majority in Congress. That's two. Three. New Mexico voters rejected the tired Republican tactics of lies and fear mongering. And number four, her dominating performance represented an early vote of confidence in the Democratic leadership. Okay. All right. So I'm just going to talk because I don't want to give, I think I've got a good idea now, but Same. I, but, but I want, I, I want to cover a couple of things. Um, I, the subtle way of handling journalist activism is to talk about how something is buoyed, you know, how, how basically it's, it's, it's a subjective term that you're inventing and applying to a story where it may or may not exist, right? So it's like, hey, this X happened, which is good for Y. Right, it's, it's, it's correlation without causation, right? Exactly. We're talking about a D plus 23 district. And, and you don't mention that. 
Right. But you can use it to read the tea leaves, quote unquote, about something you really want to talk about. And there are a couple of examples here of that, which I think narrow my field. Um, where I'm wrapped around the axle a little bit. Well, I can't. I'm going to give too much away. I'm going to give too much away. I mean, I got mine already set. So you go, just go. Well, well, you know how we can do this, and I think we did this previously. How we can do this is uh, smug. Why don't you look away from the Zoom meeting that we're conducting this? And take, take well, he said he's ready. Have him go first. I'll look away. Okay, you look away, smug. You you just hold up a fi fingers for the number. Which one I think is the journal? <laughs> no, which one you think is the dem operative? How are you not getting this game? It's tough. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, Fuck. Which one do you think is the dem here, operative? Here, here. Well, Holmes is looking away, and and so we yeah. don't like shock him that I forgot again. Read him real yeah. fast. Read him real okay, fast. I'm gonna read really fast. Holmes, right, plug your one. ears. <laughs> Mark. Mark Morrison and his GOP allies focused aggressively on crime to fund the police rhetoric. It was demagogic nonsense, but Republicans believed this was the message that would make the congressional special election close. That pitch failed dramatically. Number two, her win is a positive sign for the party, adding to their raise within majority in Congress. Number three, New Mexico voters um, rejected the tired Republican tactics of lies and fear mongering. Three is the four. Dem operative, if there's only one, and three journals. Three is the Dem operative. You've already ruined it because you 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 you're supposed to just raise the fingers. Oh. <laughs> okay. Uh, yes. Let okay. the record state that I I changed numbers and such to uh -huh. trick Holmes. Uh, that was a great trick. <laughs> Holmes, Holmes, come back. Okay. Okay. Holmes is back for his pick. Okay, so I'm going to talk through it. Okay. The correlation without causation is happening in take two and take four. Vote of confidence, positive sign for the party. All of those things are subjective statements that, that journalists with uh, bias tend to provide. Mm. Where I got wrapped around the axle here was the word nonsense versus lies and fear-mongering because both of those go well beyond subjective takes into a full editorialization. So one thing I need to ask, did one and three appear on a news page or were they on an opinion page? Gosh, I'm gonna have to go to the judges. Give me one second. Okay. It's like it's like what I'm doing right now is basically asking country of origin, right? In a spelling bee, I'm I'm looking for the derivation of said statement because I think the clarification to ensure that this is a news page will give me my answer. But it's not clear because I mean both of these are just if they both appeared on a news page, God help us. Smog, did you you made your selection? Oh yeah, I got my selection. You feel confident? Totally. All right. Well, we got the judge and the jury. I wonder if we can just play the. Oh yeah, I'm gonna add that in. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um. So yes, uh, one of them appeared on a news website. 
and the other one appeared on a opinion? Um, I mean, they, they both appeared on websites. Got it. Uh, but I, you know, that isn't to tell you it's a dem operative or a journalist. No, no, no. I just want to make sure that, that it is, it is in the context of a news. Uh, okay. All right. I think I've got what I need. I think I think number one, I think number one is the demo operative. Wow. So we have two different verdicts here. Holmes picked one. Smug picked three. Smug is correct. Wow. Yet again. I need, I need to know, I need to know number one. Number one uh, was on MSNBC. Wait, but that's an opinion thing. No, but it, it, it was, it was by Steve Bennon on MSNBC. No, that's a dude. That's guys. The most left wing. Uh, uh, that was my question. Well, that I, was, guy, I was supposed to say, I was supposed to say that. Steve Bannon, that's like saying Keith Oberman. That's not news. Okay. Was I supposed to tell you it was a journalist? Then you'd know it was a journalist. Well, it was not. No, you, all you had to say is that it's a, it's a, it's a journalist. Well, that's the whole. Well, thing. then it wouldn't ruin the game. But the game is journo or operative. That guy's not a journo. Okay. Unbelievable! You gave me an MSNBC opinion guy. I, pal, I didn't. I didn't give you anything. Our production team picked these. Unbelievable, Steve Bannon. Hey, well, look. Well, who'd have guessed smug, he was different than a smug, smug? Smug had no problem seeing right through it. You you failed. Unbelievable. It was that adjective that did it for me. That was the tell. That was the tell. Go back and reread three, uh, Duncan. No lies and fear mongering. Tired. I think it was tired that did it for me. That's how I knew. You can't call something nonsense and be a journalist. You can't. It's I mean, I agree. It's incompatible. I totally agree. I don't. I, I'm not debating anything. But there's a way to get around it. You can say that it has no basis in fact, which is what all all journos do. That when they want to say nonsense, they say have no basis in fact. So it's like when I heard the word nonsense, like only if you're an opinion columnist can you use the word nonsense, which is why I asked the question. I feel like I was misled. I disagree. Smug got it. You failed. Let's go. Let's go. Smug wins. Holmes sucks. (laughs) (laughs) And that's editorializing. (laughs) Nonsense from Holmes. This guy, this guy puts on a sham of a production. <laughs> absolute, an absolute clown show. Doesn't even know the difference between a journo and a columnist. I look, pal. I feel like you were fishing, and you were trying to get me to violate the rules. No, I just wanted you to know who Steve Bannon was, and apparently, well, I, I look. At least I, I appreciate you understand the rules of the game. Smug barely understands the rules. Uh, truly, so, uh, well, I just the like the audience you, at home knowing how these things work. You know. Yeah, no, your 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 clarifications of me. You're the only one left in America who doesn't know what the rules of this game. Are. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. No, let's congratulations. I will be a, I will be humble in my defeat. Smug, you have won. Demo Journo, can we get played out by that wonderful, marvelous song? Yep. 
Demorgiorno, 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 nobody knows. Okay, we got a big interview. I want to get right to it. Matt Brooks, Executive Director of the RJC. I want to welcome to the program a good friend, Matt Brooks. He's the executive director of the Republican Jewish Coalition, uh, and it's somebody I've known for a lot of years who's done an incredible amount of good work for all of us uh, throughout the years. Welcome. Hey, Josh. Thanks. It's, uh, it's great to be with you uh, and to be on the uh, Ruthless Podcast. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> I appreciate that. You know, you probably don't remember this. I'm sure you don't remember this. But when I first got to D.C., my first job in the Senate, I was driving. Norm Coleman. Yeah, driving Norm Coleman around. And uh, I think right after he was elected, uh, you and he went to dinner at Peking Gourmet. And he was kind enough, it was kind enough to drag me along. And I remember sitting across from you thinking, man, I've really made it. Look at me. <laughs> I'm, I'm at dinner with Matt Brooks. Oh, my Lord. Uh, little did you know the heights to which you would truly uh, attain. <laughs> Nonsense. I may have peaked. But uh, listen, <laughs> you're coming on at a really critical time because you would, everyone would have to have their head in the sand not to see sort of what's happening across this country with the rise on the left of, frankly, anti-Semitism. Uh, there's, there's really no way, other way to put it. And the thing that we've talked about on this program uh, over the last couple of weeks is when did this happen on the left? There used to be such deep bipartisanship for Israel, for the Jewish community. And now all of a sudden, and maybe it's not all of a sudden, you can probably tell me, uh, but it just feels like the left has decided that's not in their interest any longer, which is really disappointing. Yeah. You know, I know you can relate, but you know, there, there are times when in our line of work and, and, and certainly in other people's line of work as well, you, you know, some of us have the vision to see ahead and around the corner. And, you know, in this case, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I was right about this, but you know, if you go back, we have been talking about, uh, you know, where the Democratic Party is, is heading and, and why it should be of concern to the Jewish community going back to, you know, back to 2010. And we first started to see this percolate in uh, the Pew Research Studies and in the Gallup Studies where they asked, do you support Israel? And we started to see the widening gap uh, between people who are self-identified Democrats and self-identified Republicans. Republicans say they support Israel by over 80%. There's not even a majority among Democrats in the, in the polling data that says they stand with Israel. They're either uh, uh, undecided or, or they stand with the Palestinians or they stand with both. Uh, and they can't get over 50% in terms of standing with Israel. And as you know, in politics, you know, for years we would be screaming about, you know, and jumping from the rooftops about how this was problematic. And, you know, the Jewish community elites and the, the institutional leadership, and even in the Democratic Party, they say, no, 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 you know, look at this, we've got Steny Hoyer, and we've got uh, Bob Menendez, and we've got all these great Chuck Schumer, stalwart friends of Israel, the, the Democratic Party is strongly pro-Israel. And, and as I was saying, as you know, it's only a matter of time before the grassroots pull 
the political leadership in their direction. You can't, you know, our friend Norm Coleman has a, has a great line he uses all the time. He says, you know, a leader without followers is just a guy taking a walk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if the party and the leadership in the party didn't ultimately reflect where the grassroots was, they wouldn't be in office. And, um, you know, that along with the harbinger of the, the rise of the progressive left and the, you know, AOC and the squad and all these guys coming into power, um, you know, has really, I think, caused this to accelerate in terms of the pace. And it's now, there's no political retribution. There is no downside. You had literally Democratic, 11 Democratic members of the U.S. House of Representatives go to the well of Congress uh, and condemn Israel uh, and talk about war crimes and atrocities as missiles were raining down uh, on Israel and innocent civilians were being attacked by Hamas. And to see that on the floor of, of the Congress um, should send a, a, a chill down anybody's uh, spine who cares about this issue. But, you know, the real canary in the coal mine was was in 2012 at the Democratic Convention uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, they had you know, and I'm using air quotes, uh, but mistakenly left out recognition of Jerusalem uh, in their platform mm-hmm. document. And if you recall, they scrambled to try and, and on the floor to get it back added into the, uh, uh, to the platform. And the, the mayor of Los Angeles was chairing the session, uh, Antonio Villagorosa, um, and he said, you know, all in favor, A, and all opposed, nay. And with the, the whole... Paul was overwhelmingly nay. I mean, you just listen to the tape and it's, it was clear. And then he goes, the eyes have it. And the place starts booing and whatever. And, and, you know, that to me was the real canary in the coal mine. And now we're in a situation where I believe that there are no longer two pro-Israel parties uh, in this country. Uh, there's no question that there is one pro-Israel party and that's the Republican party. And that's why uh, we have seen such leadership, um, you know, in comparison to where the Democrats are from, you know, your old boss, uh, the leader has been terrific. Uh, leader McCarthy has been terrific. We've got Lindsey and, and, and Ted Cruz and Haggerty are all in Israel right now. There's not a single Democratic senator over in Israel showing solidarity mm-hmm. now during this recess period. Um, and the real interesting thing is, you know, we saw Bernie Sanders in the Senate, and I'm sorry for filibustering here. But, no, uh, this is all great. Uh, uh, you know, we, we saw you know, Bernie Sanders on one side in the Senate and, and we saw um, in the House a similar thing by the chairman of the House Foreign uh, Affairs Committee, uh, Chairman Meeks, to cut aid to Israel uh, and to hold back on military uh, arms sales um, precisely at a time when Israel needed. Now, none of these have, have come to fruition, mostly procedurally because of timing and the way that the, uh, uh, the approval for the, for the aid package has already been done. But clearly, there's going to be a big ask coming up to help Israel replenish and resupply uh, its uh, Iron Dome missile batteries so that it can, you know, uh, have full defense uh, capabilities again. And it'll be very interesting to see. I think it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be a mess of a vote for the Democrats and, and certainly in the House. Um, and uh, it's just very disappointing, as I said, to anybody who cares about this. Boy, I mean, that couldn't be more clear. If if there's actually Democrats who vote against helping Israel with the Iron Dome, I mean, that is, oh boy. I, you know, one thing that confuses me, and you've spent a lifetime at trying to educate uh, Jewish voters who have consistently voted Democratic for generations about 
sort of where the Republican Party lies in terms of its, its ability to support Israel, things people care about. And, and you've made great progress, no question about it. You've made great progress. But there's still that sticking point that we face with Jewish voters. I can't imagine that this is any more clear than what we're seeing right now. <laughs> there's got to be a realignment here at some point, doesn't there? Well, if you know, it's it's interesting. You know, we were we had an incredible story to tell after the last election. Um, unfortunately, there were a couple of developments post-election that that yeah. limited our ability to uh, spike the ball in the end zone and talk about the incredible um, support that we got for for President Trump and the Jewish community. Uh, but that being said, you know, for your listeners, it's important to um, uh, to realize. The Republican Jewish Coalition decided that, you know, for all the reasons that we just talked about, we had a unique opportunity uh, to really have a significant impact in in the presidential election this time around. Not only because of where the Democrats were, but obviously with President Trump being the most pro-Israel president by far ever in history. And we all know his accomplishments, recognizing Jerusalem as the capital, moving the embassy, recognizing the Golan, ending the Iran deal, the Abraham Accords, the list goes on and on. and so we committed um, $10 million specifically to target the Jewish vote in critical battleground states, primarily Florida, uh, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Georgia. Um, and what was, what was amazing to me, and we spent half of that money, uh, $5 million alone in, in Florida, um, mm. primarily in South Florida. And when the exit polls came out the day after the election, you have to remember, every Jewish pundit, every Jewish uh, press person, uh, we're all spinning that, you know, uh, after four years of unrelenting attacks and, you know, the, the, the Donald Trump was a fascist, he was a neo-Nazi, he supported white nationalists, everything they could do for four years of just unrelenting attack, all these pundits thought that Trump would get the lowest share of the Jewish vote ever in history. Um, we knew a little different because we're smarter than them and, and uh, <laughs> we don't actually know how to read a poll. Uh, but... Uh, they never get past the cross tabs. So, uh, <laughs> and as you know, that's where, that's where all the, uh, that's where all the good information is. That's right. So not only did, you know, when the dust settled, uh, after the election, not only did the president not get the lowest share of the Jewish vote ever in history, but he got uh, a little over 30% of the Jewish vote nationally, which you have to go back to the 1980s and Ronald Reagan to see a Republican do that well. But here's what's amazing. And this is not some Matt Brooks, you know, doctored, cooked up poll, but the AP uh, vote cast exit polls in Florida uh, put the Jewish vote for Trump at 43%. So we were able to move the needle wow. in Florida uh, from 30% to 43%, but there has never been a Republican in history uh, at the presidential level who has gotten 43% of the Jewish vote ever. And I will tell you also in Georgia, the AP number 50%. Wow. For Trump. So something's clearly happening. And again, you know, unfortunately, circumstances really permitted us from from really telling this story and, and getting it out there in a, in, a, in a big way. But I do think people get it. And, and you know, I get asked about the Jewish vote a lot. Um, and it's interesting because obviously Israel is an important part. One of the lessons that we learned, and again, because we know how to read a poll, uh, is it's not monolithic. You know, right. you can't you can't expand the Jewish vote by just talking about Israel, 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 Iran, national security. You know, Jewish voters care equally about, you know, the state of the economy. They care about defunding the police. They care about rising anti-Semitism. They care about education and school choice. 
And so we were able to build a, a message matrix based on all of those things and you know, with some really sophisticated um, technology really on a, on a very micro targeted level, really get down almost on a, on a voter to voter contact basis with the right messaging that allowed us to move those, uh, those numbers. But obviously uh, Israel was an important part of that. And, and I think that's one of the reasons that the president did so well uh, because he had such an incredible record and the Democrats are, have you know, abandoned Israel. So one of the things that has stood out to me over the last couple of weeks, as we've seen sort of the conflict with Hamas and also in the streets of the United States, incredible violence, anti-Semitism, just sort of out in the open in a way that we really haven't in a long time. And I'm wondering, to me, to my eye, it just doesn't get enough attention, right? There's just an incredible media bias that is um, basically blinders to what's happening. Um, why do you think that is? Well, I think because it goes against the narrative that they want to have, which is, you know, in this case, and certainly to a large extent of the, of the media, but also a larger and larger foothold in the Democratic Party, you know, with Rashida Tlaib, with Elon Omar, with AOC and, and Kareem Bush and all these you know, um, it's a David and Goliath. And, you know, the, the Palestinians are the underdog. Uh, the, the Israelis uh, are, the, are the, the, you know, much in the same way that they're fighting here. And, and um, you know, I think the whole idea of intersectionality plays into this right. uh, as well, which is why you see groups like Black Lives Matter coming out strongly in support of Palestinian rights and, and, and trafficking in, in anti-Semitic um, tropes as well. Um, you know, it's all part of this worldview that they have, you know, where, um, you know, they think they're fighting against, uh, uh, you know, entrenched power and, you know, want to support the underdog. And, and what they don't realize in the case of uh, Israel in particular is that that puts them in bed with Hamas, it puts them in bed with Hezbollah, it puts them in bed with, you know, radical terrorist uh, elements that feel that the only way they can achieve political power is through terror and uh, you know killing indiscriminately killing um, Israeli or innocent uh, Israeli citizens. Yeah, I want to turn the page to Israel itself because there's obviously huge uh, political developments over the last couple of weeks that I'm sure you've been monitoring. You know, the, the backdrop to this obviously Bibi Netanyahu, who's been there, <laughs> what seems like forever, right? Um, but a lot of us on the conservative side have really admired what he's done over the years. And frankly, you know, another story that didn't get any attention at all was the Obama administration's active effort through the State Department to try to beat him in an election going back, I think it was 2015 was, was the election. So it, the left has constantly in this country been sort of opposed to, to Netanyahu, but now it appears as though a, a new coalition is sort of forming there that's sort of an anti-Netanyahu coalition for perhaps a new government. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because we're actually leaving next week. We, uh, uh, Senator Coleman and I are leading a, a delegation of the, uh, uh, some of the top RJC leaders. We're going to Israel um, uh, to show our solidarity with the, the people of Israel. But then to, you know, for the first time ever in history, and we're the first Jewish organization to do that. In the aftermath of the Abraham Accords, we're then going to the Emirates, uh, Abu Dhabi and Dubai, and then we're going to go to Saudi Arabia. So we're, we're going to be in the midst of all this uh, in real time starting uh, next week. Um, 
the reality is, Josh, by the time this airs, I don't know if we'll even have an answer. There's obviously a lot of talk that Naftali Bennett is working to to do, a, you know, who's a center-right um, uh, political leader who was, uh, you know, part of Bibi's um, Likud party, but broke off to do his own thing, uh, is trying to do a, a coalition government with uh, uh, Yair Lapid and, and uh, his center-left party. Um, there's talks that the two heads, Bennett and Lapid, have agreed, but now there's talk that, uh, especially on Bennett's side, that some of the uh, other members of his party are, are uncomfortable getting into bed with a, a center-left party, and, and obviously they have very different views on, on critical issues. So whether that ultimately happens or not um, is, is unclear. I've learned one thing in my career, which is uh, um, actually two things. One is Mitch McConnell is never on the wrong side of any vote. And two, and two never bet against Bibi Netanyahu. So yeah, those, are, those are good rules. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people would have gone broke with the other side of that bet. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, look, I got three big questions for you that yep. I, I got to get to. But at first, I, you know, I think maybe I'll give you a platform for a moment to talk about your Philadelphia sports fandom because only because my wife shares it uh, with you. But I notice on Twitter, you're just all over it, insufferable Eagles fan. I, don't, I wouldn't say insufferable. I would say <laughs> passionate Eagles fan uh, and uh, passionate Super Bowl champion uh, Eagles fan, uh, <laughs> having finally, after uh, 55 years, had a chance to, to celebrate uh, – uh, which um, was the greatest night of my life being in, uh, uh, being in Minnesota for, uh, for that game. Uh, since my wife probably will not listen to this, I can say it was the greatest night of my life. That's uh, right. <laughs> the, the politically correct answer was the birth of my two children and my wedding. But for the sake of this conversation, <laughs> it was the greatest night of my life to see the Eagles, uh, to see the Eagles win. I am like, you know, I, it's, it's very interesting to see what's going to happen um, this year because I think it's going to be very polarizing. Uh, I think we made some really exciting acquisitions with Devontae Smith and some other pickups through the draft, and we'll see how Jalen Hurts does. And uh, uh, we're either going to do much, much better than, than expectations or we're going to be garbage. But I have no idea how to, how to handicap that. I'm obviously hoping for, for much better and, and that we are uh, uh, able to repeatedly beat the Giants and the Washington football team and uh, certainly the Cowboys repeatedly. Uh, this, uh, and I think we play the Packers as well. So, uh, uh, and we beat the, the, uh, uh, we play the, the, the Vegas Raiders. So, um, hopefully I'll get to some good games outside of, uh, the link and, and, uh, hopefully the Eagles will be worthy this year. Yeah. Well, I'll, you know, look, I'll take boomer bust projections because as a Viking fan, it's been like, you know, nine and seven and a wild card for my entire lifetime. So (laughs) I'm a, I'm a suffering fan, but anyway, let's get to the three questions. I'm very interested to hear your answers on this. Matt Brooks, your last meal on earth, what would it be? So I've wrestled with this and going back to your question, you know, obviously the obvious answer would have been a Philadelphia cheesesteak. Right. Um, But then you got to pick between Pat's and Pat's and Gio's. Well, I'm a Pat's guy to begin with. So that's not the, the, the issue. Although True uh, aficionados uh, not only love Pats, but know that great cheesesteaks are at John's Roast Pork and actually a phenomenal cheesesteak place in Camden, New Jersey, across the bridge called Donkey's Place. So uh, it would be one of those three. Um, But I think that um, 
you know, that my other two picks were, um, and, and I will make a choice at the end. One was the world, you know, you mentioned Peking Gourmet Inn. The best and greatest Peking duck I ever had uh, was uh, a place called Imperial Treasure in Singapore. Uh, I had the opportunity to go out to, uh, to Singapore for uh, Sheldon Adelson's uh, 80th birthday. He flew out uh, a small group of his friends and uh, single greatest Peking duck. And every time I'm in Singapore I, I, and I'm going again in February, I will definitely go there multiple times. And the other is uh, a Nashville hot chicken place in Los Angeles called Hallen Ray's. Uh, <laughs> every year I pick my favorite restaurant of that year and Howlin' Ray's to this date is the only place that had consecutive favorite picks in, in 2016 and 2017. Well, that's quite an cool. honor because you're, you're an aficionado here. That, and that's... I'm talking Michelin star, you know, it went up against Michelin star restaurants and some of the real temples of gastronomy. And I will tell you that hot chicken sandwich in, at Howlin' Ray's in LA, the line you have to wait there. I mean, it's literally two, three hours you wait in line every day. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, it is worth it. And it, so uh, anybody gets out to Los Angeles, I can't tell you enough Howlin' Ray's. So out of those three, I'm going to go with Hal and Ray's. I'm going to, wow. I'm going to pick that as my, my last meal. I love how much thought you put into that. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's the, probably our most deliberative process on the program so far. Uh, anybody who knows me or anybody who sees a picture of me knows that I can, uh, I place a high value on a good meal. So <laughs> I love it. All right. So if you weren't involved in politics at all, if you never got into any of this, what would you have been doing with your life? Uh, that's, a, that's a super easy uh, answer because um, the answer is cardiothoracic surgeon. Um, so I was, you know, engaged and interested in politics throughout college. Um, I had gotten some advice. I, well, from the time I was in, in middle school, I always knew that I wanted to be a, a doctor and ultimately wanted to be a heart surgeon. And uh, I got some great advice working in hospitals with some doctors as I was in high school. And they said, you know, go to college, but but you know, major in something else so that you're more well-rounded. So I majored in political science. I did a minor in organic chemistry. Um, and I was everything, you know, I became, but I was, you know, I dabbled in politics. I was, I uh, rebuilt the uh, college Republican chapter uh, at Brandeis. And I was the state chairman of the college Republicans for the state of Massachusetts, in addition to all the other stuff I was doing. That led me to get an internship in the summer of 1986 um, with a congressman from Buffalo, New York, by the name of Jack Kemp. There you go. Um, who ended up, he and I, you know, it's just one of those magical things where you meet somebody in your life. And he became my rabbi. He became my mentor. We just had this incredible bond uh, and, and just became an incredible factor in my life. He started, you know, he was running, I was graduating college in 87. He was running for president in 88. Um, he asked me if I would consider taking a year off and before going to medical school to, uh, uh, to work on his presidential campaign. And, uh, I said, yes. And it's been a long year. <laughs> I know the feeling that is a very familiar story. Fantastic one though. All right. So third and final question, what motivates Matt Brooks more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? Not even close. The agony of defeat. Yeah, you're a Philly I hate, guy. I hate losing more than I like winning. And and it's interesting because we mentioned uh, Sheldon Adelson. I once said that to him, and he said he was exactly the same. Because you know, we were both – I was venting to him about about uh, something, and, and he had just lost out on, on a, a project or a bid or something they were looking on, and we just were commiserating. 
losing is the worst. I literally, I hate losing more than I like winning. <laughs> I could have, I could have picked that. And yes, Mr. A was a, a big agony of defeat guy. No yes. question how, about it. How does that break down among your guests, by the way? Well, it's funny. It's, it's pretty predictable. Uh, but every once in a while, someone will try to throw a curveball at you. Like McConnell came on and tried to tell us that he was a thrill of victory guy, which is just complete garbage, right? Like we called him out on it. But, you know, it's, I would say it's probably a half and half question. Really? Right half down half. the middle? Yeah. Yeah. It's been, pretty, it's been pretty even. But, you know, look, we thank you for your time and thank you for what you're doing. It's never been more important. Uh, we've got a lot Do of I get challenges. Any merch? Do I get any merch now or do I have to go on and pay like everybody else now? Well, so I, t- I, I, Hollywood Hen and I were joking yesterday. I got to add a fourth question. Uh, t-shirt, tank top, or mug? Uh, t-shirt. Okay. All right. You I don't, I, well, you can't see it here, but I don't drink coffee. So <laughs> unless I'm going to put my Diet Pepsi in my mug. But um, I, would also be, I would also be remiss before I leave with just giving a shout out to all the minions out there. Uh, they are the best on on Twitter. You know who you are. It's uh, it's just great to interact with with all of them, and they're just fabulous folks, and who are true patriots and great Americans, and just make Twitter fun because Twitter is an absolute cesspool. Uh, but the minions are great. You're, they're good. That's going to be very well received, Matt. And and we're probably just going to throw in a tank top for that. <laughs> <laughs> I am from Philly, so <laughs> you're the man. Thanks for joining us. All right, Josh. Thanks so much for having me. So I, I, I feel like this interview was overdue because we've been reading and, and hearing so much about the conflict that's going on between Hamas, Israel, the, the rise of anti-Semitism on the left, all the stuff I wanted to really dive into. We've touched on the program uh, a number of times, but I, I felt like Matt really got to the core pieces of why this is all happening, both within our borders and then talked us through what's happening in Israel. Good content. Loved it. Yeah, it's great stuff, you know, really insightful. And, you know, obviously a ton of news being made in Israel right now. So it's really, it's great we were able to have him on to give his perspective. Totally. And a, and a huge fan of the Minions to boot. Smug, I think we've done it. Yeah, I mean, we have another banger of an episode. We've got, we got a string of those going so far. And, and there's a bunch coming up, sadly. I can't spoil our guest list yet. We're, we're Like, we're fully booked through the month and going forward now. Uh, so, you know, number one, thank you to all our listeners and telling your friends to subscribe and listen and give that five-star rating. Uh, but until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. Stay ruthless. We'll see you on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs>